well. Welcome back to the Ezra Lip Hour, more or less. And what a crazy time we are living in, people. I hope everyone's safe out there. I am recording on Saturday, October 14th, 2017. California is on fire. My Myself and my family, uh, my wife, my three-year-old son, are, are currently evacuated from our home where we live on a um, wonderful farm and uh, intentional community of sorts in the Santa Rosa, Petaluma, Katati, Rohnert Park, Pengrove area of Northern California. So we uh, evacuated in the middle of the night last Sunday. It was a little scary. Stayed with some friends in Pacifica. Stayed with um, my uh, wife's parents for a little bit in the foothills of by the Sierras of California. And um, they are still there. I am now staying with some friends in Oakland in for some gigs this weekend. So... Um, yeah, crazy, crazy stuff going on, and um, not to mention all the other things that have been happening, storms all over the uh, country, and of course, um, my heart goes out to anyone um, impacted by the, the shootings in Las Vegas, and um, I mean, we're all impacted, of course. We lost Tom Petty last week. It's It's been a heavy time to be alive in the world. Um, so I hope you guys are all loving each other very well and often. In fact, I have a little quote about love that I wanted to share. Hey, 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 Mariah and Blake, what are you guys up to? You, you mind coming in here for a second? Sure. And you mind bringing that book? So as, as I was saying, I'm in Oakland now staying with, with good friends, Mariah and Blake. Do you guys have anything to say for yourselves? We're really glad to have you with us and feeling really sad about the fires. Yeah. Are we good friends? Like, we're, our friendship is good, or we are good people that are also friends? Or both. Both, absolutely. Okay. And and I must say, for, for being evacuated, we've been having a really nice time still. Ezra um, made us such a gourmet meal last night. It's true. I, I kind of outdid myself. Yeah. Um, and we had some really nice wine. And awesome. I'm not that much of a wine guy, but it was really good. And the gelato. And the gelato was amazing. Um, and and we had a really nice discussion rehashing the election um, last year. And uh, and we, um, Blake, uh, of course, is now also serving as my, my technical uh, mic person, which I appreciate. Check him out, Clumsy Congregation. And, and Mariah shared this this book um, this by Bell Hooks. Uh, it's called All About Love. And we were talking about love last night. And I was wondering if you felt like reading any selected quotes from it. Do you feel comfortable doing that? Totally. Let's okay. read that one that we were excited about yeah. last night. And it turns out this is actually not a quote by Bell Hooks, but it's a quote that she put in the book by Eric Fromm, author of The Art of Loving. So, safe to assume she agrees with this. Here's the quote. If it is true, as I have tried to show, that love is the only sane and satisfactory response to the problem of human existence, then any society which excludes, relatively, the development of love must in the long run perish of its own contradiction with the basic necessities of human nature. Thank you for reading that. You're welcome. Appreciate that. My pleasure. And uh, thanks for the cameo, guys. I think I'll take it from here. <laughs> All right. Bye. Yeah. Well, it's fun. It is fun. All right. Anyway, back to the show. So anyway, just want to um, say hello. It's it's always great to connect with you guys. Thank you so much for everyone that's left a rating or a review in the past couple weeks. Um, it really helps. And if you are a listener to the show, if the show adds value to your life, some joy, some insight, some entertainment, however you relate to it. Um, if you would consider leaving a review or a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you may get your podcasts, it would it would mean a lot. It would help other people find this show too. 
and help spread the good word, I'd really appreciate it. And also, I also really appreciate all the personal, um, you know, Facebook messages or um, Instagram direct messages or emails, however you want to reach out to me, just, you know, saying, hey, I listened to the show, I like, you know, I like this, or hey, I listened to the show, this could be better, or I'd love to see this guest. It, I just love um, keeping in touch with you guys and knowing kind of what's working for you, what's not working for you. Are these intros too long? Do you, should I, should I just get right to the guest? Anyway, um, and then briefly a word from our sponsor, my band Magic in the Other. Um, we're in the middle of our Catch Us Fall residency in the Bay Area. So if you are in the Bay Area, please consider coming out to the Ivy Room in Albany, California, just, just east of Berkeley and Oakland. Um, we will be playing this Wednesday, October 18th, uh, the week of this broadcast with our friends, the Casual Coalition, the special guests, Mark Karen and Ross James, really excited about, about this ongoing residency. And we're going to have lots of um, more Magic and the Other stuff to talk about in subsequent um, weeks. All right, moving right along. We got Anders Osborne. What can I say about Anders? Uh, he's somebody that Guitar Player Magazine calls the poet laureate of Louisiana's fertile roots music scene. Anders is a Louisiana-based musician, uh, sorry, New Orleans, yes, New Orleans, Louisiana-based musicians, um, originally from Sweden, and he has been playing professionally for uh, almost 30 years, since 1989, and he is what I would call a triple threat in the music industry, um, because not only is he a great singer, not only is he a great guitarist, um, he is also an exceptional songwriter and, and human being, if I may add, from um, the little I, I know and have interacted with Anders. Um, great person, very resonant conversation that you are about to hear. Um, he has, of course, put out numerous records, I think about 15 that I could find on Wikipedia under his own name. He's also um, written or co-written Grammy-winning songs, such as uh, on Keb Moe's 1999 release, Slow Down. He scored a number one hit writing the song Watch the Wind Blow By, which Tim McGraw um, made a hit. And he has collaborated with artists such as Toots and the Maytel, Stanton Moore, Tedeschi, Susan Tedeschi, Derek Trucks, Warren Haynes, Keb Moe, Phil Lesh, Jackie Green, Luther Dickinson, Carl Denson. Uh, he's been on critically acclaimed albums by Tab Benoit, Johnny Sampson, Mike Zito. He's been featured in the HBO New Orleans-based drama Treme. I will also say he has an interesting story, which we don't quite touch on in this episode, but I just a shout out to, he started this program called Send Me a Friend, which um, NPR did a feature on, so you can Google that. But basically, um, Anders has struggled in the past with alcohol addiction, and um, he has since been sober, since I believe around 2011 or 12. And he um, started a, a wonderful program called Send Me a Friend, which hooks up um, touring musicians or touring crew members or sound engineers or... Um, Anyone that works in the music industry that is often in and out of bars and clubs which serve alcohol, um, basically this program, as I understand it, connects them for free with a um, kind of a sponsor, if you will, or, or somebody to come in and help support them, help um, keep them, you know, protected from um, the temptations or the external pressures or peer pressure that one might experience that is trying to um, that has struggled with these addiction issues and works in environments where they're um, encouraged that behavior is encouraged so um, kudos to Anders for starting that program so if you or yourself or anyone you know might struggle with these things um, please direct them or check out send me a friend it's a seems like a really cool pro um, program anyway really excited to share this conversation we had a really really great exchange I've uh, don't know Anders too well. We've gotten to play one show together um, with Phil Lesh and, and have uh, ran into each other a handful of times 
Um, he's a really sweet guy though. And we just, I, I'll, I'll say we really just kind of dropped in right away to some, uh, pretty, pretty great, great stuff and kind of, um, kept that momentum throughout the course of the conversation. Anders had a lot to share. Um, it was very effortless and very engaging. And I found myself, um, when editing, which, um, I did minimally for this, but, um, not only just editing, but going back and being like, what did he say? Man, that's really cool. I got to, uh, I got to listen to that again and really let that soak in. So there's a lot to take away from this, this episode and this conversation. I really hope you enjoy it. And without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with the one and only Anders Osborne. Hello. What's happening? Oh, you know, just got back last night. Uh, How's it feel to be home? Oh, it's great. Well, it was when you've been out for a month. It's good to be back. How was how was the how was the road? How was the last month? Oh, the road is you know it goes from uh, depending on your attitude, but it goes from uh, wonderful to dreadful. <laughs> it does all of, all of the above. Right. <laughs> you know, I've done this for thirty years, so I'm getting better at adjusting my attitude, make sure I'm excited, and keep the whole. Uh, Focus on, you know, making sure every day is a good day. Yeah. Have you have you figured out any uh, short proof ways to adjust your attitude to make yeah. <laughs> to make every I, day a I better have, day? I have. I have. Um, if you meditate and you um, you cling to sort of um, whatever you consider your source energy, like the the place where you live, as as a uh, original you know manifester like the the person that you truly are not the body and the mind and all that stuff but the other energy you can get a hold of that once a day or a couple of times a day it depends on how active you want to be you can just kind of you can turn the knobs and you can figure out okay i love flying Flying's going to be wonderful i'm going to meet some really cool mm. person so you got to just you got to talk yourself into it because your mind will kind of, actually not kind of, your mind will go nonstop. It is designed to just be operating. You know, it's for, that's my experience. It, it is not designed to be quiet at all. It's kind of like a spasm if you had a right hand that was constantly opening and closing, opening and closing, opening and closing, opening and closing. At some point, you're going to have to tell it to stop opening and close and be still. So if you can focus on that, then you can go, okay, now pick up the paintbrush. And then you do that. So if you do the same with your your feelings, your reactions, actions, uh, motivations, all that stuff, you start to get a solid grip on it. It's not easy at all. It takes many, many years, or it did for me. But I think that's, that would be my advice. Search for your original source and then start working your body which is a beautiful, beautiful place to live in, you know? You get this gift, and then you can manipulate all that stuff. And then the, <laughs> the music part becomes very different. You're more in control of everything from the growth of your nails, you're aware of the growth of your nails, your eyesight, your lack of, your receding hairline, the hair you got left, <laughs> you know, all these things. It becomes um, a pretty beautiful journey. And then you add music to it, and it becomes effortless. How often do you feel like you're able to tap into that spot where music feels effortless? Uh, I'd say probably four or five times, give or take. Maybe a little less, a little more, but four or five times per gig. It, it kind of opens up, and there you are. Like... A lot of times, if I feel like, let's say, as a band leader, the band's not reading my cues, we're, we're out of sync, and things we've done for a long time, let's say there's people I play with for a long time, and they, keep, they miss like the most obvious cue, then my instinct is to get angry. But what I've, over the years, what I've learned is to take the anger and make it uh, something that's part of the song and the music and the show. And then as I come out of that, the, 
the reaction is mine. We just missed something. We didn't do it at the same time. It doesn't mean that that's a bad thing. That just meant that's what happened. It's it's not really the end of anything. It's the beginning of another thing. So I think what helps me get to that almost every gig is that I'll take, like I had a gig Saturday night, but two, three songs in a row, we kept missing something. And I was like, so I kept doing certain gestures. And clearly one of the guys gets upset. But I try to focus on making us focused. And it's hard to describe without so- sounding like, you know, it's theatrics, but it's it's a thing. It can be anything. I can get down on my knees or I can scream or spit or I can... Uh, like I slapped myself on the forehead and I was like, ah, 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 ah. Very, very primitive moves. And it just helps me to like focus myself, focus myself as a band leader. What's my job? Why are they missing it? Why am I missing it? Am I not doing the cues right? And then I do that and then it becomes, again, effortless. Long explanation, but that's, that's a process that I have in the good and the bad. And then when it's none of it, we just start doing things together second nature. It means we all just kind of relax at the same time, which is, I mean, you know how rare that is. That, that everybody just, they're just feeling the exact same vibration. And now you start playing same licks at the same time. You join in, harmonies, all the stuff starts to move around, you know, that has not been arranged. And it's, yeah, it's more like tapping in than to, you know, we're not really creating at that point. That point, you're just writing what's already there or something. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I've, I've definitely, I've definitely been yeah. there. I, I'm wondering how, how, because it's, it is such a, it's such an elusive thing though to, because that, that I feel like is the goal in a sense, if, if there is a goal, if you, you yeah. know to to kind of have this effortless space of of making music without you know transcending your own ego transcending your own desire of what you know how it should be and just like accepting what it is and and creating the unknown together and but but it seems like there's like a million factors that determine whether or not that happens or not but perhaps not but I'm wondering if if you can identify maybe some elements that would help lend itself to that kind of scenario or if it, if it's more random in your experience? I think for me, it, it is, there's not like by principle a way to do it, but I do think the acceptance, I think there was uh, a little bit what I was saying about that, the frustration when you're off, if you can take the, the struggling part as part of the, the true tapping in, that is the part. That's when the, the, the piece of wood is not fitting. So you have to measure it, draw a line, you have to cut it, you have to be precise with it. That's the work part. And I think the goal is not always to just become effortless. I think the goal is the entire process of it. So what I have learned is if I accept when it's not right, that's what I was saying, I do something for me instead. And it may look aggressive and they look weird and they, you know, same as if something is so powerful in the middle of a solo, we're gelling in such a way that I literally lose, I lose myself and I start crying. I fall on my knees. That's because I gave up. I let it all go. I didn't try to do anything. I just, it just happened between us. We did something together. We tapped into something. And usually it only comes after friction. It doesn't just like, there it is. The show was badass. We kicked ass. You were tight. That feels more like an athletic performance, which can be trans- you know, transcendent as well. But I think the beauty of the performance part of, of music is the struggle part. It's like, locks in and it's like holy cow that release is really powerful so 
I don't know if I have a trick. I think the trick would be to accept the whole thing, not get mad at someone during the time. Or if you do get mad at someone in the band or in the group, make sure you bring it back to yourself. And, and like, go, okay, what can I do now? Instead of being all hung up on what happened, the other person missed a cue. You know, as a band leader, I have so many musicians that I play with. I mean, it's, it's in the hundreds. And you take a guy like Phil, I mean, there's endless amounts of people. So you have to be really fluid in order to accept it because they're all going to make mistakes every single night. Not just like playing something weird. You're going to make blunt mistake that's going to happen you have to kind of you have to play with that that has to be part of what's beautiful are you able to uh accept your own mistakes when they happen in in the same way that you would uh talk about accepting your bandmates mistakes i love them sometimes i can feel them feel embarrassed (laughs) but that's okay Uh that's more my my embarrassment comes more from me thinking too much about what other people might think. Uh, and, you know, that's, that kind of, that stops the creative process right there. You know what I mean? You, you're already putting a filter if you do that. So once you get past that point, um, but there'll be moments, you know, like when I played, I take Phil again, there was so I, I wasn't familiar with the majority of the that catalog, so I made so many mistakes in the beginning. And uh, you know, I learned a lot. I learned to do more work, prep work, homework, be more respectful of the songs, and, and learn the parts that were important. But the bottom line was, you know, it's an acceptance in that too. I didn't know. I didn't know the parts well enough. But Phil was nice enough to let me play, so I did. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, you know, but it's the same with anything. I played with George Porter and Zigaboo. We did a meters thing a few months ago, and I messed up a couple of intros I was supposed to do. George just took over, played them on bass instead, and then then I remembered, and then we did it. So it's like a teamwork thing. And then if he accepts my stuff, then I guess I have to too. You know what I mean? Sure. Trust and acceptance are, are certainly important elements for, for cohesive music making, I would, I would say. Yeah, I, I like that. The trust is ex- extremely important. It, it reminds me of, in a small scale of an American football team, like if you don't stay in your place and do what you're supposed to do, it's really unorganized and it's hard to uh hard to listen to you know so you are you referring to like your your role in the collective music making yeah it's like knowing the frequencies that i'm operating out of and knowing where other people are and what should be where should i be at this time when should i join in and run together um but you can't have all three wide receivers run up to the same spot and go for it. They're going to run into each other. So I think sometimes you have to be, you have to be careful with, in the music, you have to be very respectful of, you know, like for me, if there's a singing part, um, I have to show the band that there's a certain lyrical line that this one's important. You can't overplay on top of this line because this line is the punchline of the song. Well, it's my job to make sure they feel that and know that. Without, I don't have to just say, hey, every song you don't have to go stay out of this line and leave some space here. And then they're going to think about that instead of you know, following the natural evolution of how we perform it. But if I leave it right, you know, they'll leave a hole right there or they'll do something beautiful too bookend that line uh same with solos you know but you know most players that we play with they know all that stuff self-explanatory yeah self-explanatory at this point 
but that's yeah that's staying staying in your lane it's just it's just knowing your role knowing what you're supposed to do at each place so i'm i'm kind of sensing um i know you've been doing this for for a long time um decades 30 i mean yeah you started around 89 uh professionally um you've gained lots of experience and wisdom right now i'm sensing kind of this kind of a deep spiritual nature and meditative quality to your whole your whole kind of vibe around it which is which is super cool i'm wondering did that was that always present or is this something that has developed over the years um i'm wondering if it developed at all in the wake of uh you getting sober um just kind of comparing where you are now to to maybe where you started the journey and where you were midpoint and yep okay yeah i think um you know a, a little quick recap the very beginning uh, you know when i was a kid there was a, a deep spiritual meditative aspect to, to making music i would sit in front of a, a pump organ that we had in my mom and dad's bedroom and I would go in there and this is in Sweden. Yeah, this was back in Sweden. I was probably eight, nine years old, something like that. Um, and uh, I would just, I would just compose, you know, a couple of melodies, something like that, that would evoke some, uh, you know, sad emotions or or pleasant or happy or whatever. And, and that was just a very direct connection with me. And uh, you know, a higher power, God or the universe. Um, it wasn't identifiable at the time, but there was definitely a clear connection with something higher than me, and it made me feel good. And then, as basically the career took place, I would say in the beginning it was about learning other people's songs as I was writing my own. So you strive, you you're constantly. Where I was constantly striving to measure up to artists that have moved me. So uh, even the performance part, the writing part, they were all a matter of, can I achieve what I felt when I listened to this song or that artist or, you know, uh, how do I make it to that place? And so in the beginning, it's a lot about emulating and uh, attaching part of what you think you are to something and see how you respond and people respond and is it is it working is it good um and that carries through even when i think you you make it more of a career which career is a little different from being a musician career means that you need people to like you so you can make more money now you have to promote, you know, you have to have a PR shot, a picture. You have to think about, you know, all the details that comes with the presentation of the, the music. The experience that, uh, let's say you're looking for 100 people, you want 100 people to feel in a certain way, and then you want 500 and, and so forth. You continue the process of expanding. Um, that's a career. So that took up a lot of years. You work on that. You work on, is this the right guy to help me, you know, navigate so you get managers and and then you start to get a little popular and then you get into that. You like that feeling. So a lot of things will take you a lot of places. I think at the core of it, you just want to do, do something that's creative. You just want to feel that there's a, there's a, truth to the manifestation of what you're doing. Um, I think that's always there, but I think that the motivation goes from being popular to being epic, to being weird, to being late night, to be sort of a drunk, intoxicating experience. You know, you change the motivation all the time. And uh, leading up to now, yes, I think my sobriety has kind of pushed me towards refining that motivation, you know, every other month or so. You need to make sure that, or I need to make sure that I'm, that I'm staying sharp, uh, inspired, because if I'm not inspired, you know, I can't do anything for people live or on records. 
and my job, I think, or my, my position in the community is to kind of express these emotions through music and lyrics and uh, hopefully they'll give some comfort or joy or uh, a little bit of an escape for people from their other lives that they are not satisfied with sometimes. Touring can be uh, super rigorous as as most people know and I'm I'm sure it's uh, as you said in the beginning it it can be you know it kind of runs the gamut of of uh highs and lows how do you stay inspired to to keep on writing things that are um resonant with yourself and with people in the midst of those conditions uh the writing part has gotten a lot easier over the years i think the more experience i have and and the closer i get to the things that inspire me. I am less afraid of the process of writing. I would say I'm not, I'm not afraid at all anymore. Whether I write a good song, a bad song, if I don't finish it, if it fits anywhere, if it's supposed to mean anything, all those things have kind of, I don't know, I've shedded those fears um, over and over and over. And, and what's left is basically just uh, a sense of joy and a, a privilege that I ha- feel like that I have, and I can do this. So I, I just make sure that I pick up a guitar or some kind of instrument, and uh, I put down a few minutes of something almost every day. <clears throat> and if I keep doing that, usually something will grab me and. I'll go, this, this feels great. And then I, you know, hopefully I finish it. And then that's it. And then what I try to do is also, for especially solo gigs, I try to play these new songs uh, as quickly as possible, just so I can get a feel for how it sounds out loud in front of people, small crowd or big crowd or whatever. And that way it's pretty easy to navigate which one should stay in a set or become a big band song or something like that. You mentioned uh, that when you started, you were trying to emulate some artists that, that moved you. Yeah. Who, who were those early influences? I think, yeah, there's been almost too many to mention, but I know in the very beginning, Vivaldi was a big a melodic inspiration to me. Uh, just the movements within the, the simple scales and you know, stuff like that. Um, I always liked Miles Davis and slow melancholy, like long melodies over several several bars, moving not just squarely into four by four and stuff like that. Uh, I love Joni Mitchell, uh, Neil Young, Bob Dylan was a huge influence. Uh, I love the melodic sense of Cannonball, Adderley. I like Coltrane's approach to... Uh, Pretty much the exist, you know, his existence as a musician. I think he exposes himself, his vulnerability, in a way that few people do. Van Morrison, I loved his fearlessness when he sang, or when he sings, I should say. Ray Charles always was a huge vocal inspiration. I had a few years of uh, Lowell George, early Little Feet. Uh, I got a bunch of years of Cat Stevens, uh, Jackson Brown, who else? Bob Bob Marley, um, Ry Cooter for a minute when I was a teenager. I like his uh, interpretations of a lot of you know old traditional songs. Um, what else? Black Sabbath. Uh, really liked them for a minute. Robert Johnson, Mississippi John Hurt. And then, of course, uh, George Porter, The Meters, Dr. John, Alan Tucson is a huge inspiration. Most New Orleans music, you know, Dirty Dozen Brass Band, stuff like that. I love all that. Rebirth. I feel like this This is such a uh, such a great list. I feel like I'm just, it, it all makes perfect sense, too, <laughs> when I, you know, think, think about the, the spectrum 
of all the music you do. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I can, I can, I can hear the, <laughs> I can hear the Van Morrison, I can hear the Doctor John, I can yeah. hear the Mississippi John Hurt, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and 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 you know that I had a question, which was, you you do so many different, um, you know, you you're collaborating with so many different musicians and kind of lending yourself to to different genres, if you will. Um, I don't usually like to subdivide music in that way, but you know, you, you'll have sets that'll be acoustic, um, kind of the, um, what was it called? The, uh, soul assembly tour, was that Southern assembly? Yeah. Um, you know, and then you'll have your own band, which is, you know, much more heavy rock and roll, you know, crazy horse, black Sabbath influences for sure. And, and, uh, yeah. And the new Orleans stuff, um, I'm wondering if you feel like you can express yourself, be yourself, um, and, and kind of take, find identity in, in all those, in all those, uh, styles equally, or if there's one place where you're like, Oh, well, this is really my home, my home base. Well, I, I feel for all of it. And, and like you said, I never really subdivided it myself either. I, I remember early on people were telling me what style I was playing. And I remember thinking, huh, I never thought of that. Like I, I never, and it still doesn't feel to me that when I do a certain thing, oh, that's a church and the Maytals thing. That's where I got that. I never feel that until I start to dissect it and I go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's definitely some rock steady right there. That's cool. But what I do is I really hold on to something that lives in me. And that feeling, I think, is, is made of so many components. Uh, the, the skill set that I have, you know, it didn't just show up. That's from me experiencing all these other great people and artists and nature and walks and hikes and flights and conversations. All these things have made me. And I've had arguments that are inspiring where we're screaming at each other. And I've had laughters. I've made love and I've had bad sex. I've had, you know, a bad acid trip and a good one. All this stuff is what that's what I'm trying to do. So when you when you make it, you play the blues. That is almost, and I don't say this to people, and I don't say it lightly because I know people respect these things and they treasure their styles and they they, they spend a lot of time doing it. But it's almost disrespectful because the human experience is not a style. It is so much larger than that. And both you and I seem to be into Grateful Dead, which came later for me, but that is a beautiful compilation of the human experience. That's why they are so successful, because they they combine all this stuff into one separate thing. You can't call it anything. It's the Grateful Dead. And, I mean, that's, sure. that's a landmark. You know, not even Coltrane did that. But he transcended jazz because it was so uh, cerebral that it became basically like, you know, enormous philosophical equations that was being solved in front of you. And it's, it's fabulous. Bob Dylan does the same with his poetry. It's enchanting to watch a person or a band or anything, symphony, attack the art form that way. And you know the difference. You know when it's happening. You know, it doesn't matter if the the lead or the front person is jumping around and getting everybody to participate. If they do the other part right as well, that's fine too, in my book. So, Sorry, if they do the other part, what'd you say? I missed yeah, that. So even if you have a very a theatrical, commercial, or more of a, populist approach in the lead singer or the front person or somebody that's trying to drum up a lot of excitement, big crowds, arena. If the actual, you know, efforts 
behind that part, if they, they are true, the art form, if they're just trying to make the real thing happen, you know, you can see that as well. What I'm trying to say is there's no less quality in people that are extremely popular and doing all the, the theatrics up front. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, as long as what they're doing is, is the real deal and is genuine. Yes, it comes from the right spot and they, they continue to be true to what they're doing. Uh, so if you have these enormously popular bands through history, you can tell when they have periods when they're trying to just imitate themselves in their continued mm. success versus when they are true to themselves and it, it just resonates with everyone or most of us. And I think that's the same. I saw Michael Stern play you know, on St. Christopher Street in New York back in the 80s, 1986 or something, 85. And holy cow, it's like six people in this little bar that he and Jocko used to play at. And they stood on that floor, a little power trio, upright bass, Michael and his son drummer. I was, Jesus, well, I was like 19, I guess. Blew me away. It was the heaviest mm. punk performance I have ever experienced. It was just, it was outrageously good. It played so true. It was amazing. And that was another moment that changed my life. I realized I can do that singing one acoustic solo singer-songwriter song. I can. I can be that intense. I can be that true no matter what. You know what I'm saying? I do. Yeah. And that's a, that's a hard and powerful thing to be able to achieve to you know, be able to captivate an audience as much with just yourself and a guitar as if you had, you know, a full band or an orchestra or, you know, I, I've, I've thought of that before, how, you know, like Bob Dylan could play the Royal Albert Hall in 66 and just, you know, have everyone, you know, be, be in tune with just one person, yep. you know, harmonica, guitar. It's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And you got to find, you got to find what fits you. Is that, it's a way that doesn't work for you or for someone, then they shouldn't necessarily do it that way. That's what I'm saying. For Bob, it was clear that that's what worked for him. It's clear that that worked at that time. It was very important that the words came out, that you could hear what he's saying. So, yep. Do you ever, do you feel like there were times in your career when the latter experience was happening that you just described where you were perhaps going through the emotions more and not really tapping into your your source like you ought to be? Yeah, it, many times. Like, it happened to me back in June. That's why I took a little break this summer. I took a couple of weeks off, worked on gigs, took enough. Mm. And I have now stripped it down to, I'm doing some with Jackie, and I did a solo tour with Bonnie. And uh, just keeping certain things on the down low for a minute so I can regroup because it takes a minute to recognize that it's happening. But when you find yourself like dreading or you're up on stage and you're just spacing out or you're not locking in or you find yourself again, emulating things that you know worked in the past. So you say the, the same stuff and you inflict, you use the same inflictions in your singing. That's usually when I know, I got to make a change, even if it's temporary, but I got to make, I got to make a move. So that's what I've been doing. We're, uh, so, so what did that entail? You, 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 I remember, I think you were talking about this a little when I ran into, you, uh, in July at Targi. Yep, yep. Um, and how I think you like canceled some dates and. Yep. So what, uh, what was contributing to, to, to that effect? Was it just, the rigors of touring kind of catching up with you? Yeah, I think, I think burnout just plays so, so, so much. I mean, we jumped on the tour bus and ended July in 16. And then I was done, you know, a couple of weeks before I saw you at Target. I think that was right after a two week break or something, but up till end of June there, beginning of July, I'd had, I'd been home for only two weeks like solid two weeks home over how long a period over 12 months 
Oh, jeez. Wow. And it just added up, you know, there's four days off here, two there, one here, uh, five days here. And it just, I was just burned out. You can't feel anything that much. I mean, that long. And and, and again, I think for me, it, I'm learning to know when I'm not doing my job right. And when when you stand up there and you realize that, okay, for these people, it doesn't matter if there's only 150 people there. They really, they paid for this. They got babysitters. They traveled four hours. They like people, this is a real thing for them. And this year I noticed that I didn't feel anything, whether they had showed up or not. And that mm. was very uncomfortable because I'm like, that's my one, that's my job. That's my role in the community is to show up and let's go together. I'll take you on a trip. I'll sing these songs and it'll carry into your life. You'll have a wonderful evening and I, I will help make that happen. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm not there to show up and show off. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That belongs to when you're 18. That's when you show off because look what I have. I can jump this high. But you got to get out of that when you become a professional. You have to understand that you're tapping into something. And that's, where they're all, that's why they're all there. So that that was my in, that was my true indicator that this is I need I need to step back for a minute. So that's what I've done. Two related questions, which is, do you feel like you're back um, from that experience in a place you want to be, and how do you think you'll be able to set things up proceeding to uh, or or moving forward to not repeat that situation? Well, I think it's going to be repeated. I think. You know, over the years, like I said, I've had a lot of different bands and I've joined other people's groups and organizations and and I think it's part of a process. Um, so I don't think I'm back yet, but I have a much stronger sense how to approach it while I'm regrouping. Mm. So I meditate a little more. I do the set list. I go back and play really old songs that I haven't played in a while, and then that keeps it inspiring. I've also booked a lot of this this solo stuff for the fall here, even into the spring. The idea is, for me, to sit by myself for a while and just kind of work through, you know, where I want to land next. And uh, once you figure that out, you know, maybe they're just me and a sax player, or who knows? I have no idea where I'm going yet, but I, I think it's it's already more inspiring because I have stopped, you know, trying to just keep up the machine and, and stay on the road nonstop with a band. You know, you just you just need a break sometimes. Everybody does. If if uh, if money wasn't a factor in any of this, um, nor nor career momentum, like if those things were just, you know. You didn't have to worry about getting more popular or making making more money. How how much would you would you go on the road and tour in an ideal, you know, for your ideal situation? Probably more in the seventy five a year, seventy five days tops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But right now, what you're more like two hundred? Uh, one fifty to two hundred. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Jeez. It, it depends on you know how many of these promoters want me to show up? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think, you, you know, and you burn it out too. You, it's, we have a few of my friends here, Luther and I, we talked about the middle, the blue collar musician. That's the person where none of us come from money. We don't have a rich uh, family bank to, to, you know, get the, the lighting show or, you know, to help promote it or, to work the, the process the first five years when we started. We started from nothing and then, you know, you get up. But the true blue-collar musician is the person that's not quite popular enough to just do 10 to 12 weeks of touring a year in big places, make good money, and take a break. They have to stay out every week. That's a blue-collar musician. They have to constantly fill their calendar in order to pay their, their bills and their overhead. And what that does is it keeps you blue collar because you 
um, you exhaust the market. You can not build on that because you're never going away. You're never giving the audience a break. So you become more of a house band for the whole country. Oh, yeah, yeah, so-and-so's back there. So-and-so's back, yeah, yeah, I saw them three months ago. They were doing a street fair. Yeah, they did a barbecue festival. Yep, yep, they're doing it. Like, and it's just nonstop. And if you have a certain amount of fans, they can only fill these places so many times. And then they start taking turns. Yeah, I'm going to go to this one, but I can't make those two. And there you go. So how do you, how do you get out of that? How do you get to that next level? For me, the next level is you've got to go back to yourself. You've got to figure out, is the music interesting? Is it fresh? Is it new? Uh, is this, because some people will tell you, you just got to do it, man. You just got to stay on it. Don't give up, blah, blah, blah. Well, that always comes from people that did get the break. Mm. People that have the break, like Foo Fighters or whoever, they'll tell you that all day long. This is how you do right. it. You talk to the same person that's done the same thing for 30 years that has not gotten that break, they'll tell you, nah, it's just a matter of luck. <laughs> yeah. Just, just a matter of luck, man. Well, and the thing is, they're, they're both right, you know? Yeah, they're both, absolutely, they're both right. So, again, that's why I said, for me, I have to go back to me. I have to go, well, should people come see this? And if I doubt that, which I do sometimes, I go, it's getting stale. It means I got to change it. And each time you make that little change, you run the risk of losing some people. But you also, you know, you stand the chance to gain some new ones. And as you build that catalog, you build what's called a legacy, which is, you know, that's your life. That's your life. The legacy, the things you did. Um, I think the momentum to reach the next level, that has to be an internal level. You have to know that you are now playing better than you ever have. You are performing at a very high level. And you're acting really well. You're very, very kind to people. You're on time. You, you do your homework. You don't just talk about it. You actually do it. All those things. And then a little piece of a rock will break, break loose and it'll open it up. Like most of my success has been not where I thought it would happen. Like if I get a number one song on the country charts, that's not something that I was like, oh, that's what I want. That's what I want. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. It just kind of showed up from left field or a Grammy nomination, I'm like, oh, really? I forgot I did that thing. What is that? Traditional blues? Wow, I totally forgot about that. Boom. Or I get the call from Celeste or Toots and the Maytals. Like, they come out of the blue. It's not something I pursued, but I pursued my own perfection or whatever that means. I pursued my own excellence. Can I get better? And I think... When I do that, it always brings me somewhere. It may not be where I was hoping or where I thought I would go, but nine out of ten, it's better than I hoped. Mm. I I almost feel like kind of what you're describing would be, you know, like you, yourself as as a tree growing, putting your energy in, into making the a beautiful, healthy tree, and then these other things you're describing, the Grammy nomination or the, the country hit, uh, they're just kind of like these fruits that come out kind of unexpectedly, you know, but you're not necessarily trying to make fruit. You're just trying to be this beautiful tree. Is that, is that, that's right. Yeah. No, I love it. It's, It's perfect. And in the process you create, you know, oxygen. Right. For other things. Yeah. I've been living like, you're breathing life into a lot of things. And that, that vibration is, is really important. You know, if we're all one, if we're all the same space dust, same stardust, that means we're all connected, which means what I do affects everything. My expansion is the universe expansion, which means I have to continue to expand in order for the universe to expand. Otherwise, the universe will stop. 
that's my job is to expand, to want more, to, go, to achieve more, to be more, to think more. That, that's my, that is what I, I'm here to do that. It's everybody's, I wouldn't even call it duty. That's your instinct. It must happen. <laughs> it must happen. Yeah. So, yeah. It's inevitable. You have to do it. That is, that is what you do. And and I when I was researching you for this, it was kind of staggering to to think about how many in the scope of your career, how, how many people you've touched, affected, collaborated with, audiences you've played for, miles you've traveled, um, you know, music you've made. It's you've had <laughs> you've had a kind of a an overwhelming amount of output. Um, and it's kind of been nonstop and, and I'm sure you've, you've added a lot of oxygen going back to that metaphor, um, in a lot of people's lives. So, wow. Wow. You just, that was very kind of you. I never thought of it that way. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's absolutely true. Damn. <laughs> I never thought of that. Myself included, you know, I mean, I'm. Yeah. Yeah. We make these impacts that it's. It may be short and subtle, but you know, you uh, clearly, you and I, you know, vibrated together very clearly, and therefore we're now talking again, mm-hmm. and we have continued to talk, and it, it, that's the thing that that also has come with getting a little older. I recognize the vibrations uh, clearer and, and and much quicker. I know when it's happening, when I meet someone, I go, this is, you know, I don't have to make any more of it than it is, but I know it when it's there. It doesn't go past me very often anymore. Nice. That's, that's a good thing to recognize. I love it. I love it. I had a conversation waiting in line to get on the plane yesterday. I had a 45 minute conversation waiting in line to, to board a plane with this guy about everything, about colleges and schools and politics and, and I, I don't do a lot of that. I'm not that guy. But it was instant. We just stood there and waited and discussed all kinds of good things. Do you feel like you're able to um, make as many connections these days uh, and, and particularly maybe those kind of random, you know, unexpected, unsolicited uh, conversations and instant connections you might make with people given where we all are at in our culture with with technology and and kind of a million distractions to to keep us insular um to avoid confrontation in in public places um have you noticed the difference yeah i think it's become easier for me like i said the more i meditate uh the more I, I try to reconnect and realign myself with, you know, I guess what the popular term is my true nature, uh, then all that stuff seems to just add on to the beauty of my overall experience. I, I like the social media and all that stuff. I don't even mind that people have the excuse to be insular when they're waiting for the bus to show up. I don't think we have to talk all the time. I, I think it's okay. But I think me personally, I feel more connected than I've been in a long time. I, I think ever. I think I've, I've felt very much like I walked around in a space helmet mm. for most of my life. And it's, I was uh, living in my head and my own emotions. You know, an emotion can be described by someone really clever once said that the emotion it's basically your your dragged out skid marks of your reaction. So to explain it differently, the emotions, first someone says something or does something, you react to it. And then in a slow, long curve with a slow turn radius, here comes your emotion. So that can be two minutes or two days or two years depending on how, how fast you can turn. The emotion comes after the reaction. 
So if you can start to act and not always act, you are then holding tighter to your emotions. Um, not sure why I'm saying all this, but I think it had to do with making connection. Yeah. So for me, if I don't react on how people staring at their phone, I don't have any emotions about it. That's just something they're doing. There, yeah, and therefore you're able to move through the world with, with less judgment. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. I thought I was just preaching about stuff I had no idea about. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I feel like I'm with you. And Did it make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and to that point, I feel like being able to, yeah, as you said, act as opposed to react or, if anything, delay that time um, between uh, stimulus and response. So perhaps yep. your stimulated emotions come but then you don't, you let them kind of be and then you let them go before reacting and therefore they don't, they're not like a uh, negative feedback loop or positive feedback loop, whatever you call it. Yeah, that that could be helpful. That's exactly it. Yeah, that's it. It's, um, I say, I say hi to, I say hi to someone and then they don't say hi back or they, you know, grumpy back. If I don't react on that, there's no emotional uh, attachment to it. I go, I can, as a matter of fact, move on with my life very quickly. Sure. And, and cause, cause you, cause you don't know, they might not have heard you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they, yep. they might not have recognized you. I mean, there's a, yep. there's a million yep. reasons, you know? So I think it's important not to jump to, oh, this person is an asshole, <laughs> you know? Right, right, right. So usually it's, it always comes back to my own insecurities and, and my, you know, need to people please or to be get all the affirmations I need through the day to make myself happy. And if I can, if I can skip that, it gets a little easier. Yeah. Did you? Uh, did you? Where did you learn meditation? Oh, it's just through uh, online and uh, books. Uh, other people that meditate have done it longer. Uh, I haven't really had an instructor or anything. There's that transcendental stuff that people are into. Mm-hmm. I've watched a couple of things online, but they, they kind of keep the secrets of it. Yeah. Uh, I think most, most of it comes from just grabbing hold of, you know, different yogis online that I, that I try to follow and, and listen to that I like, uh, Zen masters and, certain Buddhist traditions. Uh, but even, you know, some of the, the Christian Orthodox things that they, and the Muslims and all these people, I mean, just taking a moment, focus on your breathing and clear your mind and uh, stay really connected to, you know, to uh, relaxing your mind. Stop thinking a little bit. Focus inward. Find the answers to things. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, yep. I I want to be. Uh, I know you got something right after this, so I want to be, you know, respectful of your time. Um, but anyway, um, thanks so much for for uh, speaking speaking with me and, and taking the time to do this. Yeah, likewise. You know, I it's funny. I had like, you know, like twenty or so talking points, which I often do. I'll like write down. Like, okay, well, we could talk about this, we could talk about this, and, you know, I, but, <laughs> you know, and I didn't really ever have to, to, um, to, to even look at my list or draw from that, so that tells me that it was a, <laughs> it was a good, present, resonant conversation, so thank you for that. Oh, thank you, it was very pleasant. Wonderful. All right. All right, my friend. You take care, and uh, I hope, hope to talk to you soon, Ezra. All right, Anders, you too. And that is a wrap, folks. Thank you so much to Anders for coming on the show again. It was a delight to talk to you. Um, took a little bit of time to set up and entirely worth the wait. Again, um, please think about all the people affected by all these crises and emergencies going on in the world right now in California and Puerto Rico, in Texas, in Florida. Send your help, send your, your support and your money and your resources and your love be good to each other and uh, hopefully we can 
navigate these um, difficult waters together uh, with love and intention as well as attention and focus and um, all that all that good stuff so um, I, I wish you all well I hope you are you are safe and thriving thank you so much for tuning in again it means the world and I will see you soon okay take care my friends bye